0: Hello, everyone, welcome to the January 11th edition of the Warcom Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled that an unapproved workers' compensation policy arbitration side agreement was unenforceable. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Adir International versus the Travelers' Indemnity Company. Adir International operates the Karakio chain of retail department stores. Travelers issued a workers' compensation insurance policy to Adir between 2004 and 2011, which did not contain an arbitration provision. This policy, however, was a guaranteed cost policy with standard language approved by the insurance commissioner. Before issuing this policy, travelers filed the policy with the Workers' Compensation Insurance Rating Bureau for the commissioner's review, and the commissioner did not object to the terms of the policy. Then, as an annual condition for issuing a renewal policy, Adir executed a separate agreement with travelers that contained the terms and conditions for the retrospective rating plan endorsement. This annual agreement, however, introduced a requirement for binding arbitration of disputes. On February 14, 2011, the Commissioner issued a letter to the Rating Bureau requesting it to notify its member insurers that the Commissioner has prohibited the use of collateral agreements, which is synonymous with the term side agreement, concerning workers' compensation insurance unless they are attached to the policy. The commissioner further stated that an insurer's attempted enforcement of unfiled site agreements would constitute a violation of California law. Then, when Adair's coverage expired in 2012, it did not renew its workers' compensation insurance with the travelers. Travelers then sought arbitration regarding the amount of premium currently owing to travelers by Adir. And Adir then filed a complaint in the Los Angeles County Superior Court against the travelers. The Superior Court refused to rule on the validity of the arbitration clause, asserting that the arbitrator was to resolve that issue. So Adir then filed a motion with the arbitration panel arguing that since the arbitration agreement was not filed or approved by the insurance commissioner, the agreement was an illegal one and therefore unenforceable. However, the arbitration panel denied Adir's motion to dismiss Traveler's arbitration claims. Then later in 2016, the commissioner, in a precedential administrative decision, known as the matter of Shasta Linen Supply, ruled that unapproved policy side agreements were illegal. And then, before the arbitration panel issued its final award in 2018, the 4th District Court of Appeal issued the case of Nielsen Contracting Incorporated versus Supplied Underwriters, which held that the trial court, not the arbitrator, should determine the enforceability of the specific arbitration provisions. Then the arbitration panel issued its interim award of $2,709,000 in favor of travelers and against Adir. Adir then filed a renewed motion in the Superior Court, seeking now to declare the arbitration provision in the agreement void and unenforceable as being illegal under the prior two decisions. This time, the Superior Court granted Adir's renewed motion, declaring the arbitration provisions are unenforceable and void. The travelers appealed the Superior Court decision, and the Court of Appeal affirmed it in the finding in the unpublished case. The Court concluded that a number of arguments made by travelers on appeal were rejected including its argument that the issue was preempted by the Federal Arbitration Act. The pharmaceutical industry's courtroom effort to block California's requirement that drug companies publicly notify and explain major price increases has stalled after a federal judge ruled that the landmark transparency law does not violate the First Amendment. The judge rejected an industry group's arguments that the 2017 California bill infringes drug makers free speech and regulates interstate commerce. Hoping to force the industry to explain sudden drug price increases to Californians, a bipartisan group of lawmakers approved the transparency bill in 2017. Then-Governor Jerry Brown quickly signed the bill, saying... The public deserved more information on medication costs with pharmaceutical profits soaring. The law, which was SB 17, requires drug companies to give the state and insurers at least 60 days notice before planned price increases of more than 16% over a two-year period. It also forces insurance companies to file yearly reports with state regulators, outlining the impact of medicine costs on health care premiums. The law also tasks regulators with compiling the information into a consumer-friendly report showing the overall impact of drug costs on health care premiums. Shortly after its passage, the industry responded with its lawsuit filed in the Eastern District of California arguing the state was picking on drug manufacturers and ignoring the underlying reasons for spiking costs. In court, Pharma, the trade group, contended the advance notice requirement effectively triggers a 60-day nationwide price freeze by preventing manufacturers from increasing a drug's wholesale acquisition cost or list price. It also claimed SB-17 interferes with Medicaid reimbursement schemes enacted in other states. The trade group also claimed that the Commerce Clause does not permit a single state to project its legislation into other states by regulating the price to be paid for drugs in those states. Following the defeat in court, the group's public affairs director hinted that an appeal of the case was likely. The Ohio Attorney General's Office says it may have uncovered evidence in a court battle to show that a pharmacy benefit manager, OptumRx, knowingly overcharged one of its state agencies. Among hundreds of thousands of emails obtained from OptumRx as part of the litigation discovery, was one that appears to acknowledge that the multi-billion dollar corporation was not following the terms of its contract with the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Compensation. OptumRx administered prescription drugs for the workers injured on the job in that state. The Ohio Attorney General alleged that OptumRx overcharged the Bureau on more than 1.3 million claims for generic medications. The state says the contract called for the pharmacy benefit manager to charge the lowest of four potential prices for generic drugs, including a measure from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid known as the Federal Upper Limit, or FUL. But in a series of emails marked as confidential, the director of public sector account management for Catamaran, a company purchased by RX, said, the federal upper limit was never applied despite what the contract said. But Optum's Corporate Communications Office said the federal FUL requirement was never part of the Pharmacy Benefit Manager's agreement with the state. The Bureau dropped OptumRx more than two years ago after a consultant determined the PBM was vastly overcharging the state. The same consultant later discovered that PBMs, including OptumRx, in Ohio's Medicaid program, which pays for health care of the poor and disabled, were charging three to six times the standard rate, enabling them to take home nearly $250 million in a single year. According to the lawsuit, OptumRx overcharged the Bureau on 57% of 2.3 million prescription claims, from injured Ohio workers between January 2014 and September 2018. And now our crime report. Excel Talks, a California diagnostic laboratory located in Irvine, California, has agreed to pay nearly $358,000 to resolve allegations that it violated the Federal False Claims Act by submitting claims for genetic tests to Medicare without valid physician oversight. Excel talks used the services of a contractor, Seth Rafas of Somerset, New Jersey, who persuaded groups of senior citizens in senior housing complexes to submit to genetic testing despite applicable Medica rules requiring proper orders from a treating physician for such a test. Excel Talks, in turn, submitted these claims for payment to Medicare for Refuse's genetic tests that were performed without a valid physician oversight. Refuse previously pleaded guilty in Trenton Federal Court to conspiracy to commit health care fraud and was sentenced in 2019 to 50 months in prison. The testing lab Excel Talks was also connected with the prosecution of a Bakersfield physician in 2019. The physician was Dr. Jason Heliwell, who was at the time on probation by the state medical board for negligent patient care and sex with patients. He faced criminal allegations of billing fraud arising out of the Excel Talks scheme. Helliwell and two others were charged in 2019 in a 31-count criminal complaint alleging a fraudulent medical billing scheme according to the complaint filed by the Kern County District Attorney's Office. The complaint alleges that Dr. Helliwell conspired with Brandon Williams, a 40-year-old sales representative for Excel Talks Technology Lab, and Tamara Head, the 53-year-old owner of Rosedale Medical Billing Solution, to charge insurance companies for medically unnecessary treatment. The schemes alleged involved Dr. Heliwell ordering unnecessary blood and urine tests for patients, for which he received kickbacks from Williams, whose lab performed some of the testing for the samples. Heliwell would collect urine samples from patients for lead and mercury testing, and would surreptitiously order additional testing for illegal drugs without the patient's knowledge. Heliwell was given $20 to $25 per patient sample by the toxicology lab, and the lab also paid for a personal medical assistant for Dr. Heliwell. Heliwell also ordered testing on an in-house blood allergy machine for patients who did not complain of allergy symptoms. Seventy-four-year-old John S. Romero, who lives in Loma Linda and who was the former president of a Colton-based labor union, was sentenced to 144 months in prison for stealing nearly $800,000 from the union's Health Plan Trust Fund. At the conclusion of a five-day trial, the jury found Romero guilty of one count of conspiracy, 12 counts of theft in connection with health care, and one count of making a false statement to a government agency. Romero appointed himself president of United Industrial Services Workers of America and trustee of its health plan trust fund. Money paid into the fund was supposed to be used exclusively for health care benefits of its participants. Instead, Romero stole the union's health funds for the benefit of himself and his immediate family. Romero embezzled health plan funds to pay a $110,000 personal civil judgment against himself and his son, 55-year-old John J. Romero, also of Loma Linda. He also embezzled $40,000 to pay criminal defense lawyers who represented Romero in a separate case. Romero funneled more than $310,000 to himself by disguising the funds as rent payments on two properties he owned and held under a shell company. In addition, he stole more than $300,000 in union health plan money to make salary payments to his family, even though none of his family members ever worked for the plan. He also used plan funds to pay off a $25,000 loan on his son's Ford Mustang Shelby GT500 sports car. Romero also filed a false financial report with the U.S. Department of Labor in which he concealed the existence of more than $100,000 in union receipts and disbursements that Romero held in a secret bank account and from which he made regular payments to his mistress. Romero advanced his scheme by appointing his son as the secretary and treasurer of the union. He later appointed his ex-wife, 71-year-old Evelyn Romero, as the union president and trustee in 2010. Romero's son, his ex-wife, and his daughter, Diane Romero, 42 of Loma Linda, pleaded guilty to criminal charges in this case. And in regulatory news, since the onset of the COVID-19 crisis in March, The Division of Workers' Compensation has worked hard to ensure the continuity of its services to the workers' compensation community. District offices continue to hear all cases either by way of teleconference or by video. But the DWC has not accepted any walk-in documents or walk-through documents since March, as documents have only been accepted by way of e-filing, jet filing, or by mail during this time. But the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board recently issued an en banc decision suspending regulations on walkthroughs. Effective January 11, this change now allows the DWC to offer a walkthrough alternative in the life-size video conferencing platform. District offices will be available for walkthroughs, Monday through Friday from 2 to 4 o'clock p.m. only. Walkthroughs will be available only for a compromise and release or stipulation with request for award at this time. To be heard, the documents must be filed at least 24 hours ahead of the walkthrough appearance by either JET filing or e-filing. Documents filed by U.S. Mail must be available to the judge in Eames prior to the walkthrough. The walkthrough procedure will be handled by using the life-size virtual courtroom which will be available for each office. A judge will handle as many walkthroughs as are feasible for the day, and the order in which a judge will hear the walkthroughs will be up to the judge handling that day's matters. Parties are encouraged to file proposed orders to assist the judge with handling the matter more expeditiously. The DWC will be monitoring the impact of this new program and will look to expand hours and documents allowed in the future based on its staffing availability. The number of U.S. workplace deaths rose 2% in 2018 according to the most recent census of fatal occupational injuries released by the Labor Department's Bureau of Labor Statistics. It was the highest number of fatalities reported since 2007. Transportation incidents continued to account for the largest share of fatalities, as transportation incidents increased 2% in 2019 to 2,122 cases. Falls, slips, and trips increased 11% in 2019 to 880 cases. The 5,333 fatal occupational injuries in 2019 represents the largest annual number since 2007, and a worker died every 99 minutes from a work-related injury in 2019. Fatalities among workers age 55 and over increased 8% from 1,863 in 2018 to 2005 in 2019, This is the largest number ever recorded for this age group. Hispanic or Latino worker fatalities were up 13% to 1,088 of them in 2019, a series high since 1992. Fatalities in the private construction industry increased 5% to 1,060, the largest total since 2007. And driver sales workers and truck drivers incurred 1,005 fatal occupational injuries, the highest since this series began in 2003. Both the National Safety Council and the American Society of Safety Professionals responded to the report calling for employers to take consistent, systemic action to curtail the number of workplace deaths. Los Angeles County approved a proposal to require national grocery and drug retailers operating in unincorporated areas of Los Angeles County to pay frontline workers an additional $5 an hour in what they call HERO pay. The supervisors who co-authored the motion calling for a temporary urgency ordinance that would apply store chains that are publicly traded or have at least 300 employees nationwide and more than 10 employees per store. The motion pointed to a rising number of outbreaks of the virus in grocery stores and the additional stress that workers suffer when they cannot consistently maintain distance from crowds of customers at work. These workers also bear increased child care costs incurred while their children are at home distance learning. Several grocery corporations offered $2 to $4 hourly raises at the outset of the pandemic, but that additional support lapsed last May. The California Grocers Association pushed back hard on this measure, agreeing that their employees are heroes, but that the ordinance would result in higher food costs, hurting low-income families and seniors already struggling to cover those costs. San Francisco supervisors has all, have also passed a resolution to give them hazard pay after urging large-chain grocery stores to raise hourly wages for employees by $5 also. The $5 in hazard pay in San Francisco would last while the city remains in the purple, red, or orange tier on the state's tiered system. The extra compensation would not be required of small, Mom and Pop Groceries in San Francisco. A new nonprofit trade association, the California Staffing Agency Reform Association, also known as Cal SARA, has been established by staffing industry leaders to clean up the current staffing agency marketplace, which it claims is inundated with fraudulent and black market workers' compensation insurance. The organization claims that the increasing demand for a contingent or variable workforce, combined with the decreasing supply of employees and workers' compensation insurers, has allowed a massive black market to grow virtually unchecked. It says regulators have thus far been unsuccessful in policing these activities, causing the situation to get even worse. Calcera will provide education training and legal support for its members as well as providing assistance to regulators and insurers calsera will also act to protect its members from illegal and unethical activity by aggressively pursuing all parties who enable these illegal arrangements including brokers and peos a robust and inclusive committee structure will ensure that calsera's mission and goals are advanced. These committees include industry leaders on their education, governance, audit, membership, and litigation committees. And in other industry news, the state compensation insurance fund said Happy New Year with a $39 million dividend paid to its policyholders with policies that took effect between August 27 and December 31, 2020. This dividend equals about 10% of the estimated annual premium reported during that time period. This announcement follows up State Fund's August declaration of about 10% mid-year dividend that applied to all policies incepted between January 1 and August 26, 2020. The dividend distribution for the entire year will equal about $114 million. Through 2020, the state fund is reporting about $1.13 billion in premium. Since its creation in 1944, state fund has paid out more than $5 billion in dividends to its policyholders. State fund policyholders will begin to receive dividend payments during the second half of next year. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free workcompapps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Skarin, Manuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.